Uh, as we kind of close our four-week series called Grow, over the last few weeks we've been talking about how to grow onto life, and we've been giving you handles on that. And this is the final week of that, and it's probably the most practical of all of the weeks, because we're talking about what it means to love God with all of your strength. And I thought, what better person to actually close the series than the person who a lot of you may not know and who, how hard he works. If you work on the front line or in community groups, you know Pastor Greg Hansen. Uh, but if you don't, you don't know all the work he does behind the scenes. Oh, man. All right. But Pastor, Pastor Greg's primary role here is to actually build pathways and channels and on-ramps to help us take our next steps in faith in very practical ways. And so I want you, as he comes to preach, I want you to lean in. I want you to listen because the things he has to say are bang on. And he will actually give you some real handles on taking your next steps. So this is a great week to be here because it's going to be really uber practical. So take notes and you're going to have opportunity uh, to take your next step in faith. So what I want to do, I want you to stand to your feet for a second because you're, you're getting, I'm tiring everybody out and that's no way to set up a preacher. Stand to your feet and would you welcome to the stage with a rousing applause, the one, the only, Greg Hansen. Stay standing if you would. Stay standing. Now I'm going to take you on the road with me. That's awesome. Thank you. I want to dive right in and read a scripture passage with you as we begin from 1 Peter chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, just slip your hand up. One of our ushers will provide one for you. Uh, you can also follow along on the screen. We're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 7. It says that the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you receive to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And read the rest with me. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. All right, good. Thank you. You can go ahead and have a seat. All right, I want to tell you about a, a man. Well, he's got a great name, first of all. His name is Hanson Gregory. <laughs> so I, I obviously identify with him with that just being the reversal of my name. But seriously, there's a man named Hanson Gregory, and I want to tell you a little bit about his story. Hanson Gregory was one of the youngest sea captains to ever sail off the coast of Maine. In fact, he was 19 years old when he had command of his own vessel. Later that same year, while he was still 19, he was decorated by Spain's Queen Isabella for saving the lives of an entire Spanish shipwrecked crew. But that's not why we remember Hanson Gregory today. We remember Hanson Gregory today for the invention of absolutely nothing. Confused? Okay, well, let me, ex let me explain this for you. About two decades after the death of Captain Hanson Gregory, a furious debate broke out in New York. It was late November 1941, and the judges were Clifton Fadiman, Franklin P. Adams, and Elsa Maxwell. And the leaders of the opposing sides were Fred Crockett of Camden, Maine, and Henry Ellis of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. 
And the heated discussion revolved around whether or not Hanson Gregory had indeed invented nothing. <laughs> Lawyer Ellis maintained that he had not. Lawyer Henry Ellis claimed that it was, in fact, a Native, Native American who invented nothing during the 17th century. But despite his splendid courtroom tactics, there were many inherent weaknesses in his case, not least of which was the difficulty of trying to prove anything three centuries past. On the other hand, Mr. Crockett, seeking to prove that Captain Hanson Gregory had indeed invented nothing in 1847, presented for examination an array of affidavits and letters and other documents. And in the course of the debate, the story of Hanson Gregory's life unfolded. Hanson Gregory was born in Clam Cove, Maine, in a charming colonial home overlooking Penobscot Bay. As I already mentioned, at the age of 19, he assumed command of his own vessel and was later decorated by Queen Isabella for saving that shipwrecked crew. Yet it's not for his bravery on that occasion that Hanson Gregory was discussed in 1941. It was for an invention that comprised of nothing more than thin air. Debater Fred Crockett, attempting to ascertain the circumstances of this invention, acknowledged the blurring of much folklore with the truth. Hansen had not, as some had suggested, invented nothing during a storm at sea and invented it by accident. No, he had invented it on purpose as a boy of 15 sitting in his mother's kitchen. Mr. Crockett's evidence was sufficiently persuasive to win a unanimous decision by the debate judges. And today, over 75 years later, the Smithsonian Institute, plus a few sites online, uh, confirmed that nothing was invented just the way that Fred Crockett said it was. And it all started 170 years ago when Hanson Gregory noticed that his mother's fried cakes were soggy in the center. The 15-year-old picked up his fork, poked a hole through the middle, and invented the something that will forever comprise of absolutely nothing, the hole in the donut. <laughs> now, I know you're amazed at that little glimpse at history and more than a little intrigued about his name, I'm, I'm sure. But let me ask you this, what was the problem with those fried cakes? What was the problem with his mother's cooking that prompted Hanson Gregory to poke that hole through the center? The problem was that they were soggy in the center, they were undercooked. They weren't prepared the way they were supposed to be. And the danger arises when that same description can be applied towards a believer when they're not prepared the way that they should be, when they have soggy centers in terms of their relationship with Jesus Christ. You might even say they're half-baked. <laughs> but that can be a problem. You know, over the past few weeks, we've been asking you and encouraging you to go online and complete a GROW assessment on our website at kingschurch.cc. In fact, you should have received a card like this. Uh, telling you exactly how you can go about doing that. Uh, go onto our website, fill out this assessment, and, well, the results are in. And I want to share some of them with you uh, today. Uh, we're going to keep this, this assessment available online. We're going to refine it and continue to use it as a tool for helping people discover their next steps in their walk with Christ. But I want to, to share just a little bit of what we've discovered so far with you. Uh, one of the questions on the assessment asks believers to describe their current status. And it then provided seven statements and so believers are going on and have been clicking which statement they most identify with, and here are the results. 22% have said, I'm secure in my faith, but I'm dry. I don't feel like I'm growing. 19% said, I hunger to learn more about the Bible and about the Christian walk. 18% of you have said, I have personal struggles that are holding me back from experiencing all that God has for me. 12% have said, I'm thriving spiritually and growing more every day. 
11% said, I'm a believer, but I don't feel like I'm connected as part of the church. And another 11% said, I'm a believer, but I lack a solid foundation for my faith. And 7% of the people who have completed this assessment said, I want to get more involved in serving in meaningful ministry. So looking at those numbers, let's take the 12% of you who reported that you're thriving spiritually. And then let's add in the 19% who have said that they're hungering and thirsting to learn more about the Bible and about the Christian walk, because that's actually a pretty healthy position to be in. We're still only at 31%. And that means that at least 69% of the people who have completed that survey, and perhaps 69% of those of us here today, have recognized some kind of a deficiency in our spiritual journey. Some sort of a void crying out to be filled. So I want to commend you, first of all, for recognizing that in your own life, but I also want to encourage you that that's not the way it has to be. That's not the way it should be. Read this verse aloud with me. It's from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, and it says this. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. I want you to notice two things about that verse. First of all, notice that it's up to us to choose whether we're going to move beyond the elementary teachings. It's up to us to choose to place ourselves in a growth environment. It's up to us to choose to to step toward maturity. And we can resist that decision for any number of reasons. Maybe the the cost is too high and we're simply not willing to to pay the price to take that step. Or maybe we've allowed our lives to become so busy that it's choked out any opportunities to step forward. But ultimately, the decision is ours. It's up to us to put ourselves in a position to grow. We choose to move beyond the elementary teachings. But I also want you to notice that it's actually God who takes us there. It's God who takes us, once we decide to allow him to, it's God who takes us and moves us toward maturity. You can't mature yourself. It's the power and the presence of God working within you. So there's a real partnership here. You choose to take the steps, and you place yourself in an environment where you can grow. You till the soil, you provide the water, you plant the seeds, but God does the growing. That's up to him. And the great news is that many of you, even by using this simple tool online, have been able to identify some next steps and you're prepared to take those steps and and allow God to move you toward maturity. As Pastor Brent mentioned, this is the fourth and it's the final weekend of our Grove service, or Grove series. And if you've been following along from the beginning, you'll remember that way back in week one, Pastor Brent talked about the Shema. As you'll recall, in the Bible, in Mark chapter 12, one of the teachers of religious law came to Jesus and asked Jesus, Jesus, out of all of the commandments, and there are many of them, out of all of the commandments, which would you say is the most important? And Jesus looked at this man, and he responded by quoting a passage that we know as the Shema, uh, found in the book of Deuteronomy. And, And Mark chapter 12 records it this way. It says that Jesus replied to this man, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So Jesus is essentially saying here that the greatest commandment is to love God with everything you've got. There was a saint uh, who lived back in the 12th century by the name of St. Bernard. Now, just to clarify, uh, he didn't wear a keg around his neck. He didn't run through the the Alps. That's a different kind of St. Bernard. This... This St. Bernard, uh, Bernard of Clairvaux, uh, summarized really what the Shema says when he said, the measure of loving God 
is to love without measure. I love that. The measure of loving God is to love without measure. I believe that's what Jesus was saying when the, uh, and what the Shema was talking about as well. Loving God without measure. Loving God with everything you've got. Loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so for the past couple of weeks, we've been breaking that passage down. And we've seen it really as being the pathway to spiritual growth. We've seen it as the, the pathway to maturity, the pathway to knowing God. And we started with the idea of loving God with our heart. What does that mean? Well, loving God with our heart would have been a revolutionary concept to the people who would have first heard it uh, from Moses in the Shema. Loving God and growing in your relationship with him begins from within, with your passions and your affections and your will and your desire. It involves bowing your heart before him as your king and as your savior and as your satisfier. And it would have been revolutionary for the people of that day because their concept of knowing God would have been primarily external. This idea of loving God from within would have been revolutionary. And it still would have been revolutionary about 1,400 years later when Jesus repeated it to that teacher of religious law. And still today, almost 2,000 years after that, we still get confused and we forget that ultimately the concept of knowing God and growing in faith and maturing and encountering Jesus begins within. Loving him with our heart. It's all about intimacy and proximity to him. Well, it begins with the heart, but that's not where it stops, is it? If it did, then our faith would be nothing more than experientialism. So last week we moved on from that and we talked about what it means to love God with our minds. We talked about what it means to have a solid foundation of knowledge for our faith through education and through learning. And we explored what it means to allow God's word to reshape and redefine how we view the world and how we interact with it. Of course, the philosophers of Jesus' day and the rationalists of ours love this thought. Of course, it's important to develop our minds. And of course, it's important to have a, a reasonable grasp on faith and to have a solid foundation. But if that were all there was, then faith would only be intellectualism. As important as learning and building your understanding of God and his word is, there's still more beyond that. You ever heard the saying, you're so heavenly minded that you know earthly good? You know, people that kind of get stuck at that point, they may know lots of things, but it doesn't really matter. It's not making any difference to their lives or to the lives of the people around them. It's got to move beyond our hearts. It's got to move beyond our minds, and it needs to move to our strength. Heart, mind, and strength. It's got to be put into action. Our faith, our maturity has to impact how we live. Check this out. Read this with me. Uh, it's from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Read it aloud. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Do you see that? Do you see there how what's in your heart determines what you do? It's from the inside out. It starts from the inside, but it has to be expressed outwardly. Here's another verse from Romans chapter 12. Pastor Brent actually looked at the first half of this verse last week. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we looked at that last week and talked about what it means to be transformed through the renewing of our minds. But look at the rest of the verse. It says, Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
So we're called to have our minds and the way that we think and our, our entire worldview transformed by the work of God in our lives. And as a result of that, we're able to recognize what God's plan is for us, what his good, pleasing, and perfect will for us is. Our minds are transformed, and that affects how we live. So this is where we're going to camp for the rest of our time. As we conclude this series, we're going to talk about what it means to love God with our strength. How does loving him with our hearts and loving him with our minds, how does that affect how we love him with our strength? So let's get really basic. What does the word strength even mean? Well, that's actually not as simple a question as it might appear. Because the Greek word that's translated in Mark chapter 12, well, that word literally does mean ability or power. So that's pretty close to what our concept of strength would be. Uh, and that seems simple enough. But the Hebrew word used back in the Shema in Deuteronomy, well, let me tell you about this word. It's found 298 times throughout the Old Testament. And only two times is it used as a noun as it is in the Shema. Here in the Shema and in one other passage referring to the Shema. In every other instance, it's used as an adverb. And it means very or muchness. So how do you love God with all your muchness? Interesting question. And to complicate things even more, if you look at the Aramaic word, it's translated as wealth. So it would appear that this idea of loving God with all of our strength means more than just flexing our muscle. It's more than just using our power or our ability. It's loving him with everything at our disposal. Everything we are, everything we have. Our wealth, our talent, our time, our homes, our families, our relationships, our computers, our cell phones. We love him with all of it. And we bring him glory with all of it and how we use it. It's all for his glory. So you begin to understand here that when Jesus identified this as being the first and greatest commandment, it wasn't just a flippant response he was giving. He knew exactly what he was saying, and he knew that he was asking for everything. Loving God with all your strength, then, it's marked by action. It's about how you live. It's about what you do and how you serve. It's about service and lifestyle. It's about taking the intimacy of loving God and the knowledge of his word that you gain and putting it into action in the way you live. So there's a, a clear progression that you see happening. As it says in the New Testament book of James, in chapter 1, verse 22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. It's not enough to just know it. You've got to put it into action. You've got to do what it says. So with that in mind, let me give you three major components of loving God with your strength. The first component is this, help. You give and you receive help. And this is about connecting with the community of believers. Don't try to go it alone. Don't try to be a lone ranger Christian. Your relationship with God is not meant to be lived in isolation. You were made for community. You were made to grow alongside others. You were made to understand what it means to be part of the body of Christ, the community of believers, the church. You know, this world that we live in has become very individualistic. But the truth is, we need each other, don't we? If we're going to reach our potential and grow in our faith and become the people that God calls us to be and the people that we need to be and the people that we want to be, we need each other. It's the way that God designed us. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, this is actually one of my favorite verses in the, in the Bible. Um, it says that, that he, God, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. It's all about how we exist as a community, as his body. And, you know, I first discovered that verse. It's kind of strange that I remember this. But I remember really just kind of discovering, and I read it before, but I remember discovering it back in 1991. And for the past 26 years, that verse has defined for me what it means to be part of the church. And it's determined how I serve others and how I receive service from others. It's why I value community. It's why I think it's important to be part of a small group like our community groups or another growth environment. Because we need each other. We're designed to minister to each other and to care for each other and support each other and encourage one another. And as we do, we help each other grow. And if that's not part of your life, then you're missing out on something that God intends for you to enjoy. And you're missing out on an opportunity to grow. If we're going to be a strong, healthy, biblically functioning community of believers, growing and discovering new depths in our relationship with God, then we need each other. Let me show you a couple other verses. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We need each other. We grow within the context of community. Now, I, I mentioned to you our community groups. Pastor Brent mentioned them earlier as well. If you're not already part of a group, then I would invite you to join one this fall. They're starting up in just a couple of weeks, including some opportunities for people who have never been connected in a group before. I'd be happy to help you get connected. Just uh, take your, your card that you would have received when you came in today, attached to your program. Check off the box that says community groups. Or you can email grow at kingschurch.cc and we'll be in touch with you this week to help you get connected and provide you with more information about what, what's involved uh, in our groups. But if you're going to love God with all your strength, then you're going to do it within the context of community. It takes help. The second component is this. It takes habits. This is about practicing personal disciplines that position you for growth. It takes help. It takes habits. To grow and improve at anything takes effort, doesn't it? It's true with sports. It's true with your job. It's true with your marriage. It's true with your schooling. It's true with your parenting. It's true with your talents. And it's true in your relationship with Christ. Check out what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, his young apprentice. He said this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. It says, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales, which is very easy to do, isn't it? He says, Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. So Paul is saying here that growing in your faith and becoming, as he describes, godly, takes effort. It takes training. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen just over time. It takes effort. It takes discipline plus time. Unfortunately, we live in a society where we want everything fast. You remember back when there would be a commercial on TV trying to sell you something, but it would always have that disclaimer, allow six to eight weeks for delivery? Now when I'm ordering something online, I'm wondering if I can have it by the end of the week. 
We're, we're not really good at waiting anymore, are we? We don't like to, to be patient. And the problem with this kind of want-it-now attitude is that it's made it more difficult for, ourselves to, for us to devote ourselves to anything that, where we don't see instant results. Spiritual growth, however, is not one of those things that happens instantaneously. It takes time and it takes effort. It takes discipline. Several years ago, a theologian named Richard Foster wrote a book, a book called Celebration of Discipline, which always struck me as a funny title because who wants to celebrate discipline? But in it, he says this. He says, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. And he goes on to talk about a variety of different spiritual habits, or as he calls them, disciplines, that we can implement into our lives that can set the stage for growing and getting deep in your relationship with Jesus. What kinds of habits or what kinds of disciplines was he talking about? Well, there are several of them. We don't have, really have time to go through them all here. Uh, but w- what I do want to do is just run through a few of them quickly for you. The first couple are pretty obvious. One habit that you would benefit from if you want to grow towards maturity is prayer. If you're going to grow in your relationship with Jesus, prayer is a pretty vital habit. You can talk with God. You can talk about your successes and about your failures. You can share your concerns with him. You can ask for his help and for his direction. You can seek his guidance. You can seek his heart. You can give him the praise and the glory that only he deserves. All of that is prayer. And there's no secret mantra to praying. There's no secret handshake, no password you need. It's simply talking to God through prayer. And he invites you to come into his presence and do that. Another habit would be reading God's word. If you want to grow, you need to be reading the Bible. God reveals himself to you through his word, and you'll be transformed by that encounter with him. But then you can move beyond simply reading God's word, and you can actually study it. That's another habit. And another habit is meditating on it. That's really diving in and digging, digging in and reflecting on it and determining and discovering how it applies to your life and recognizing what God is saying to you personally through it. You can also memorize God's word. You know, that's been huge in my own life. It's, it amazes me when I think about the verses that I memorized decades ago and how they still impact my life today and, and guide me when I make decisions and when I have choices I need to make uh, and then when I need encouragement. These verses continue to, uh, to come back to mind because I memorize them. I've, I've internalized them. So you can memorize God's word. Then there's disciplines like fasting. Maybe once a week or once a month, maybe for one meal or maybe for an entire day or even for an extended number of days. Fasting is basically reducing or eliminating your intake of food for a specific time and combining it with a more intense period of prayer. So maybe you have a major decision to make and fasting can help you sense God's guidance more clearly. Or maybe you need God's power to be unleashed in your life. You need him to perform a miracle. And fasting can increase the intensity of your prayer and express your deep desire more fully to God. Another habit is worship. Worshiping both in private and corporately with other believers. And this doesn't necessarily need to include music, although it certainly can. Worship can be anything that expresses your heart of love toward God. There's the habit of silence. Quietly waiting and allowing God's space to speak to you. 
So maybe you can carve out an hour some afternoon or carve out an entire afternoon to spend in silence, quieting yourself and listening for him to speak to you. There's the habit of generosity, giving to God and giving to others. There's the habit of simplicity, reducing clutter in your life to make more room for God. And there are other things too, other habits and disciplines that can position you for spiritual growth. And actually throughout this series, Pastor Oliver has been using our King's Church app to send push notifications and encouraging people uh, to, to do certain things every day. And a lot of them have centered around these habits, these spiritual disciplines that can help you grow. So if you haven't already done so, I'd encourage you to download the King's Church app and, and uh, activate no- your notifications so that you can be receiving them throughout this, this coming week as, as we finish up this series. And you can discover more about the, these, uh, these habits and these disciplines that way. So to love God with all your strength, it takes help, it takes habits, and it takes hands. This is about serving God by serving others. It's about using the gifts and the resources that are at your disposal. Check this out. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Read this aloud with me. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are called to serve, to do good works. But we're not called to serve out of obligation, We're called to serve out of opportunity. It's about using the gifts and the talents and the resources that we've been given and using them to bless others as an expression of our love for Christ. Let me ask you something. When you do something nice for somebody that you love, are you doing it just because it's on a checklist and you have to check off that box? Are you doing it because you're obligated to do it? No, you're doing it because you love them. And sure, maybe you, you keep a checklist to help yourself remember, um, or maybe your spouse uses a checklist to help you remember. <laughs> but you do it because you love, right? That's your motivation. And it's like that with God. As you love God with all your heart, and it stirs up your passions and your desires uh, to know him more, and you get to know him more through his word, And through the renewing of your mind, you continue to grow. And that love that you're developing for him will eventually spill out. And it should spill out and impact the way you live and how you demonstrate your love for him by serving him and serving others. God designed you to serve and he equips you to serve. He gives what we call spiritual gifts to empower you to do that. The Bible actually talks about how through the wisdom and the grace of God, the Holy Spirit gives a spiritual gift or several gifts to every believer in order to build up the body of Christ. And the great thing is, as you serve others and help them grow, you experience growth too. So you're helping other people grow by using your gifts, but there's a reciprocal thing that happens here, and you get to to benefit from it personally as well. And there are a few different passages that discuss spiritual gifts throughout the Bible. Let's just take a look at one of them. Here in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 4 and reading through verse 11, it says this, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, then teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. 
If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Not grudgingly, but enthusiastically. Using the gifts that you've been given to serve one another in love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that we shouldn't be uninformed or ignorant about spiritual gifts. 1 Timothy chapter 4 tells us not to neglect the gifts that we've been given, but to, put, but to use them, put them into action. And Romans 12 tells us that our gifts are connected to what God's will is for our lives. You want to know what God's will is for your life? A good indication is how he has equipped you to serve. And when you serve in areas where you're gifted and where you're called, you'll find that you're both effective and fulfilled. And it opens up the gateway for tremendous growth and tremendous blessing in your own life. Last weekend, Pastor Brent mentioned that we're going to be having some courses this fall, starting in October, uh, to help you learn the Bible better. One of the things we're going to be discussing will be spiritual gifts and discovering what your gifts are and how God has equipped you for ministry. In the meantime, my suggestion for you would be to just experiment. If you're not already involved in serving in ministry, experiment. Determine an area or two that you want to, to, want to try out just to see if you're gifted in those areas and see if it stirs up something within you. Again, if you want to explore some of the opportunities that are available, you can check off the volunteer box on your connection card. You can email grow at kingschurch.cc and we'll be in touch with you this week to help you get connected. But if you're going to discover life and what it means for you to grow in your relationship with Christ, the pathway to that is to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, moving from the inside out. And when you love like that, that's when you fully realize the power and the presence of God at work in your life, taking you and shaping you and molding you into the people that you're called to be and that you want to be. Can I pray with you? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that our relationship with you can be more than just the experiences that we have, more than the, the, just the knowledge that we can gain and more than just the things that we do. Thank you that we can develop a love for you that's all-inclusive, heart, mind, and strength. And that you continually call us into greater intimacy and greater community with you. Lord, we're all at, at different, uh, different stages and different levels of growth in our walk with you. Uh, so I simply ask that you take each of us from wherever we are right now and that you draw us closer to you. Teach us to love you completely with everything we've got, making us more and more like you each day. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.